Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, March 24th. Derek Van Riper, Bertrolli, Eno Saris. Eno joining us on location from Surprise Stadium. Eno on the road, always an adventure. How's it going today, Eno? Uh, tired, tired. The clubhouse availability is, starts at 7 most days in Arizona, uh, which is not a time I'd like to be in clothes talking to people. Yeah, that does not align with your uh, your Arizona <laughs> lifestyle. No. <laughs> Although I, I, I did have a networking, uh, quote unquote, networking session last night. Um, and it ended uh, by 839 because everyone was like, got to be at the field early. <laughs> so we were responsible, slightly responsible, slightly older men. Hmm. Business uh. cards were exchanged, I assume. <laughs> Phone numbers, yeah. Dude, business cards. I, I was looking at the, the the Celtics. I think are sponsored by Vistaprint, and I was like, man, that's that's a business from the past. When was the last time you gave or received a, a, a business card? At least uh, five years ago. How about you, Britt? Yeah, I had that. Like, like sent us that whole stack, and like, no, <laughs> I'll pick up use one of them. <laughs> No, the, ch- the spring training thing is real, though. Like the schedule, like obviously I just came back from Florida and we spend all year not starting our day until like the afternoon. Right. And then all of a sudden it's, hey, be in that clubhouse at 7 a.m. Games at one. Um, definitely a different clock. And I think that's why a lot of teams are um, trying to advocate for night games with the shortened spring training, at least in Florida. I don't know if that's happening out mm-hmm. there, you know. Um, at the end so that they can get a little bit better acclimated with kind of the regular season, which is in basically two weeks. Yeah. How many day games do you have during a regular week? Like one or two, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think that's good. Also, I, I, I don't know that any of the machinations of that here, but I do know that there are certain teams that are pushing the morning availability and the morning report time back. So some places it's eight, eight thirty, you know, just to give them more sleep. And I, I, I face this battle with my kids at school. You know, some schools want to open up at eight because they, the kids want need to be dropped off and the parents go to work after. But uh, that's, I think, the priority should be the kids' sleep. You know, and I think in this case, it's a similar thing. The sleep should be the priority. So, you know, I think a you know later start times. <laughs> Let me sleep, please. <laughs> well, the good news is, uh, Britt and I are, I think well rested by comparison since we're you know not on the road right now so hopefully we can uh, keep things rolling along but i do think it's it's interesting that with spring training starting up spring training games going on now for geez more than a week i think we're seeing pitchers kind of pick up as though spring training started on time right i think robbie ray pitched on tuesday he went four i think scherzer went five on monday so uh, i was at question, that robbie ray start he was grunting like he was in mid-season form i was re-watching it on on mlb network on tuesday night and it yeah it was being picked up by the field mics like it always <laughs> i mean he he was holding nothing back he had the, the regular season pants going uh, they were actually interviewing him i think after the outing and they were saying that the sleeves were too loose so he's gonna get the tailor to work on the, the sleeves to tighten those up a Tighter, little bit tighten but, it up but Britt, as uh, as you were in Florida last week, did you get the sense that pitchers were going to hit the ground running like this? I I thought it was possible, and I think you guys were both a little more skeptical that that they were going to kind of ramp up a little on their own and, and try to be completely on schedule the way they would have been had spring training started on time. Yeah, well, I just came back yesterday. I was at Scherzer start. I was at Cardinals camp that day, and they were playing the Marlins, so it was the same facility. Um, I don't think we should look at Max Scherzer start and say that means the pitchers are ramping up because Max Scherzer, this is what Max Scherzer does in a regular spring training game. Um, He comes the first day of February and is throwing a 50 pitch bullpen where he's yelling out 
names of batters and counts and <laughs> grunting and swearing on himself. So um, I, I think the danger is in saying, well, Max Scherzer went five innings. We're going to see that everywhere now. Uh, he's a little bit of a different bird. Uh, I do think we're going to see guys pushed a little bit more. You saw it with DeGrom. Uh, he didn't go five innings, though, right? What did Jacob DeGrom go yesterday? Mm, you guys know? I, I he he didn't go five, but he had, a, he had a solid outing, and I think you are going to see guys get pushed a little bit more um, just by the nature of the short spring training. But Max Scherzer, guys, is going to be ready to go eight innings on opening day in D.C., and that's just Max Scherzer. The guy throws every day. That's uh, a little bit of a different preparation. Um, so that didn't surprise me. Um, I'll be more surprised when we start seeing guys this first trip around do what Max did. I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I think the thing there is that he's a veteran. And, like, I think if you look at the date on the calendar, it all makes sense, right? Like, you were talking about February, <laughs> right? This is late March. Like, he would, she should have been, if we had a regular spring training, his five-inning start there would have looked totally normal. It would have been, like, one of his last tune-ups before the regular season. So I think that some of the veterans knew what like what every date meant, what the sort of what the benchmarks were and when to be ready and like how to to prepare for that. And that's why you're seeing the DeGroms and Rays and Scherzers do this. I think it'll be harder on the younger pitchers that maybe have had different timelines uh, in their recent history. You know, you think about like a, a rookie pitcher, maybe he's stretching out or he, they're telling him he's going to get a bulk roll. So like these things are sometimes in the air and they don't have these dates like March 20th. I'm going to have to go be able to go five, you know, like they don't they don't have that mindset. So and they didn't have any communication with with the teams in the lockout. So they, you know, they were just probably just throwing bullpens and might be starting from scratch. Uh, whereas the veterans like knew what they were doing. I did talk to uh, one pitching coordinator while I was here about, um, you know, they tried the best they could. They like made a plan and they were like, here, read this plan. And we tried to answer any possible questions because we can't talk to you. And like, please follow the plan. And if you have any questions, go to the like third page because that's like the FAQ section, you know. And like, they really tried to like do as much as they could to be ahead of it. But still, you know, if you're a young pitcher and you feel a little bit of soreness or something, who do you talk to? That's why we're hearing all these news updates too of like, oh, Zach Gallen had shoulder bursitis, you know, and. Uh, you know, a couple like Zach Wheeler had shoulder soreness. And I think it's kind of hard as a fan and, you know, as a fantasy player to like know what that means because it's in the past and they're throwing bullpens now and they're getting ready. It's just stuff we might have heard otherwise in February if we could, you know, if there wasn't, if the players weren't locked out. Yeah. DeGrom, uh, uh, DeGrom threw 30 pitches, two innings in his first spring start. I think the more important number for DeGrom, though, the top pitch velocities from that game, the top five pitches all belong to him. He had a 98-7, yeah. a 98-3, a 98-2, a couple 98-1. So in terms of where his arm is at, he seems to be healthy in that regard, at least based on what the radar gun's telling us. Yeah, so he threw a sim game a few days before that in uh, Port St. Lucie that I was there for, and he just looked like mid-season form i mean guys were excited when they made any contact at all lindor was saying wow wow as he struck out nimmo literally <laughs> nimmo literally had a party he goes i touched it when he fouled off one of his pitches <laughs> so um i think it you know it, it's it's interesting to say but you know the vibe in mets camp was like hey nothing can go wrong this is train is on its tracks and it's just such a different vibe than we've seen in previous Previous Mets teams. Uh, did, you, did you hear uh, they asked Nick Castellanos he was worried about facing Scherzer and, and, and DeGrom, and he said, well, they never score any runs for Jake, and Max has got that dead arm thing. I'm more worried about where I can find a good cheesesteak. Wow. So awesome. I'm trying to start it. the trash talk. He, he took, he took no time, wasted no time no to time. become the heel of the NL East. I mean, that took <laughs> 10 seconds after he signed that it. contract. He which, did it pretty quickly in the in the health central. Too. I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. I mean, we, we need those kinds of rivalries. I think that, that makes uh, makes the game a bit more fun. General observations, you know, we'll start we'll start with you, you know, what are you seeing right now in Arizona? Surprise, of course, is where the Rangers and Royals have their spring camp set up. But what have you seen the first few days that you've been in Arizona? Well, I gravitate towards pitchers. So I had a cool conversation yesterday with Logan Gilbert about, you know, what he has planned for his second effort at the league. And, uh, 
you know, there's actually a funny little side story between the two pitchers I talked to yesterday and today. Yesterday, Logan Gilbert said that he was trying to throw a sweeper, which is, you know, a seam-shifted wake uh, slider that's kind of big and sideways. And he's trying to throw that. He just couldn't command it. And so now he's going to more of like a DeGrom, um, Scherzer, like a tight slider, like a tight power slider. He's going to go to that because he thinks he can command it better. Um, and he was just saying, like, I couldn't, I couldn't command the sweeper. Today, I talked to John Gray, and the big news for him uh, coming here to Texas is that he's going to a sweeper. He's changing his slider, and he's going to the sweeper. And I just finished up talking to him about what, how to command it. And he said, yeah, first couple of times I threw it, it was just way out of the batter's box because it has so much more horizontal movement than I'm used to. Uh, but he's really excited about all that horizontal movement. He says, now I just need to aim at the batter. I need to aim. That's how much horizontal movement he's getting on this new slider. He needs to aim at the batter, and it'll it'll take it outside the box or to the outside corner. So um, Gray was also excited about getting out of Colorado where, you know, his curveball in altitude there, uh, you know, altitude affects pitches, pitch movement. It reduces curveball movement. His curveball is like around average, but at home it was below average. He said I had to get it perfect to throw a curveball at home. Uh, so he's really excited about being here in Texas. And I think, you know, I think John Gray is pretty important to these Rangers because they spent all that money on the bats. And I, I really like some of their smaller pickups, too, like Cole Calhoun, even Matt Carpenter, Brad Miller. Like they, they collected a lot of bats, but they're going to need to pitch. And I think John Gray is going to have to be their workhorse uh, as they try to move some of this young pitching in uh, and see what they've got. But they're, you know, the question here, the question here in surprise is, can they pitch? (laughs) Uh, I I love the ambiance you've got going for those who are watching on YouTube, you know, is, uh, at a concourse right now. And you, that faint noise you hear is in fact birds or chirping in. He's got the sunglasses going going on. Yeah. It's it's awesome. Appreciate, appreciate the dedication for sure. Gonzo journalism. (laughs) It's incredible. You got a nice breeze, too. See the hair's moving a little bit. It's a really nice setup you got. And the shot's framed pretty well, too. I mean, there's a a lot of sun in the background because it's Arizona in the morning. But, hey, what can you do? The Rangers are interesting just because, to me, like the projections do not reflect the number of moves that they've made. They see them a little under-projected right now. I think Fangraphs has their projected win total just a shade under 74 wins. The story for them, if they're going to exceed the expectations, it is having guys on the margins, maybe some young players emerge who are not part of those projections to take on more meaningful roles. It does seem possible, right? I remember back in the fall league, there were a lot of prospect analysts saying that the Rangers group of of players that were there were probably the most impressive group of any team's collection of prospects that played in Arizona this fall. So I could see some extra help coming there. I think the the John Gray situation... Maybe he's not quite the guy Ross skills wise that he was back when the Rockies drafted him, but he might be a more well-rounded pitcher. And now he can do some things that he couldn't do previously. So I could see him being among the players that really exceeds expectations. And now, Britt, the the Florida spring training experience, which you've had many times now, it is not the same as the Arizona spring training uh, experience where you, you have to move around a lot. It's multiple hours in the car. Where else did you go? What other teams did you see while you're there? You mentioned seeing the the Mets and, and some of the stuff that, that was happening with DeGrom in that simulated game. But uh, what else caught your eye while you are in Florida? Yeah, I ended up doing a pretty big swing across the state. I did Tampa uh, for the Yankees camp. I did the Tigers in Lakeland. And then I made my way over to Mets camp. I did Cardinals camp. And I did uh, Marlins camp. So a lot of camps in a week or so. Um, and I'm glad... You know, mentioned projections because it just reminds me when you're talking about Texas um, and maybe them being projected low, it reminds me of a conversation I had with AJ Hinch um, in his office about the Tigers aren't projected well either. And, you know, one thing that he kind of has railed against is these projections, and it makes a lot of sense. What are these projections? They are guesses by a computer, right? These, the, whoever is modeling these guesses, they don't know who's hurt, who's poised for a good year who's ready to develop. Um, They're basically just guesses. And Hinch is like, I'd love to see at the end of the year, how right are these projections? Are they ever right? Did they see the Braves winning the World Series? Did they see the Nationals winning a 19? You know, like it just seems like we get so caught up in these projections and these numbers because that's all we have right now. Um, And they're utterly meaningless because one big injury changes everything. One big acquisition, Carlos Correa in Minnesota, changes everything. Um, A guy 
like Akil Badu comes out of nowhere overperforming. Detroit is similar to Texas in that they're kind of on the up and up, right? And we don't have a great way of predicting if these young starters in their rotation are going to take a step forward or not. It's all guesswork. And so I think that's important when you're at these camps is um, kind of looking and getting a feel for what's going on and not just relying on, well, Fangraphs said they're not going to be very good. So the problem, you know, like I just think, especially with a short and spring training, uh, especially in baseball a sport that is so long, there's so many ups and downs. Um, I think the, the Tigers could surprise. I think the Rangers could surprise. Um, you know, the big news out of Yankees camp, obviously, is the COVID vaccine and whether or not some of these players who clearly aren't vaccinated, like Aaron Judge, are going to get it. Because if they don't, they're going to go to Toronto severely undermanned. And that's a huge advantage for the Blue Jays. How's the projection system going to handle that? Yeah, like how's the projection <laughs> system do that, you know? Like, um, you know, it's, it's just like that could really be the difference for the Yankees between winning and losing the division. Don't you guys think? Yeah. Um, especially if it stays in New York as it is. That's going to affect service time. Lindsay Adler had a great piece on that today. Um, you know, that's something that, again, you can't really plan for at all. And I think you look at you look at some of these teams, and, you know, I mentioned the Mets and Buck, and I think A.J. Hinch does this in Detroit, is they're difference makers. The managers are difference makers. Um, they, they're, gonna, they're going to find a way to win the winnable games, right? And you look at Detroit, and I think last year – their projected total, they beat by seven or eight games, despite having a miserable April. Um, so you're going to see, I think, hopefully, those projections just quickly go by the wayside, and we instead just look at what we're seeing on the field and how these teams are performing. Um, because I think that there's going to be a lot of really close races. I think that there's a lot of teams, save for the Reds and A's, that are trying, and it's going to be a really fun time. Outside of, like, Cleveland, what, what's going on with Cleveland? Have you guys determined, like, are they out? Are they Are they – are they just going to hang out, pay pay the best pitcher in the division $6 million and Shane Bieber not trade him and just be okay in fourth place? You know, I think Cleveland is part of the the answer to the how did the Tigers go over projections last year. Cleveland had injuries. They weren't as good as people expected. The Twins dealt with injuries. They weren't as good as people expected. So I think the AL Central, which wasn't loaded to begin with, played a little softer. And I think... The Tigers did have some successes, you know, hitting on Robbie Grossman in free agency, finding Akil Badu in Rule 5. And I think with their projection this year, how much Riley Green is baked in that projection, how much Spencer Torkelson's baked in, right? They're they're a young team with prospects coming up. You could say the same thing about the Royals. I think that needs to be accounted for. I think that's where it's it, it takes more than just that initial projection to figure out how likely they are to do better right you have to really analyze the other circumstances that are in play here to to fully round it out the yankees and Mets situation right now if those vaccination laws don't change that's a total mess for those two teams i i'm still operating under the expectation that we still have two more weeks before we get to opening day that the rules are going to change and at least for home games mets and yankees players regardless of their status are going to be able to play i have no inside knowledge of this it's just me kind of assuming we'll look at what's going on in other parts of the country where restrictions are being eased up we'll see if they don't they have a major problem on their hands and and doesn't sound like toronto is going to change at all so they still have that problem and i would agree with you Britt. i think that division is projected to be so close between the jays the yankees the red sox and the rays that ultimately could make a significant difference in how that division plays out and how some of the final playoff spots in the al actually turn out I have a, a little story time that I think might serve to clarify how I feel about projections because I want to push back a little bit, but I also want to agree. So I'm the king of waffles, but there's a story here. So I lost a, a really public argument with Dave Cameron on Fangrass when I was writing back in the day. I, I 100% admit that he convinced me that he was right and that I was wrong. And so what we were talking about was, would you rather have the history of the Marlins that, uh, you know, pumped and dumped, like were really good, won a World Series, uh, and then basically tore it all apart uh, in between? Or would you rather try and be good every year? And what it came down to was team projections. Now, when we project players, we're better than coin flips. We know, we have a little bit of an idea of how to project players. But when you start adding them all up on a team, that's when you start adding error on error on error, right? So that's, that's part of why team projections have more error than player projections. The error bars on team projections, 10 wins. So what I'm saying is, 
a team could could be projected for 70 wins and win 90 wins and that wouldn't be evidence that the model was incorrect because one error bar one standard deviation is within the model and two is within the model so somebody could win 90 after being projected for 70 and that would just be a, a bit of an outlier but not a model breaking number and so those are really wide, wide error bars if you think about it so if you think you built a team that could win 82 82 wins then you might win 92 and that would be totally like a normal year. So I think that also explains what we see with a whole class of teams that try to build 82, 84 win teams. Think about the Diamondbacks or uh, maybe even what the, like the Reds are doing or what the Cubs are like seem to be doing. It's like, let's just make a mediocre team and maybe we get lucky and it's a good team that, that one year, but we didn't spend too much. Blah, blah. I don't want to get into the politics of all that, but like that, that's why you see teams act the way they do sometimes. It's like, they think that like they've gotten to 86 wins in the team projection and like, the error bars could mean that they could be, be below 500 or over 90 wins, and they're fine with that. And I think that goes back to the Moneyball A's. I mean, I think there's even a specific part of the movie when they, they go meet with ownership and they're explaining where they want to be, where they think they're going to go, how they're on track, even though on the surface they're they're getting a lot of early season questions in that season. And they've embraced that for a long time, but other teams have embraced it for more than a decade as well because you can make those moves in june and july to get better if you were at the higher end of your range within that error bar you can make your team better and put your foot on the gas pedal and go and and say all right we are we are good enough we are going to fix our flaws and we are going to go for it we're going to try to get better not only to make the playoffs but to actually win in the playoffs and i think that's going to be a strategy that we see that ultimately makes the trade deadline perhaps a slightly better market for teams that have players available. I feel like for the last at least half decade, every trade that you've seen that makes a team immediately better, it seems like they underpaid to get better because they're just there's not that much of a, an appetite they're to deal top players. end prospects. It's all about team control, you know, like they don't mm-hmm. want to they don't want to give up a Glaber Torres for Aroldis Chapman anymore. That was I think a kind of a high tide moment where, you know, every trade since has been affected by that trade. Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder, and that was a great p- point about projections. You know, I do wonder with the expanded playoffs, will that make teams, it can go one of two ways, right? You can see more trades because more teams feel like they're in it, or you can see no movement because every team is like, well, we can't really be a seller. We've only got two or three main sellers because every team feels like they're in it. So I don't know. I'm curious, which way do you guys think that that could potentially go? I think what DVR is saying, I think, I think it would be a seller's market. I think there will be some obvious sellers and they will, you know, like I just, I, you know, would know where the projections say, like, I don't think the Orioles will be that good this year. So they will have some assets at the deadline and will be sellers, but there'll be a whole lot more buyers. Not just if you're the Orioles, though, buyers, shouldn't you, like four yeah, more shouldn't you sell now? You think, you think the market would be bad? Cause I feel like the hope now is that these teams are good. If you're the Orioles. Why don't you trade Cedric Mullins, Trey Mancini, John means right now? Why fight well, with them are, over a million with, dollars in arbitration? Those are players with team control. Mancini has that whole story. You know, it's kind of, it would be kind of almost like rude to, to trade him. I think is this Mancini's last year of team control in Baltimore? Is he a free agent soon? Uh, I don't know. Let's look that I up. Think it's, I, I think it's about think it's like soon. whatever's not nailed down. So like at the All Star, the All Star or like when they at the selling deadline, like the trading deadline, like the Orioles, anybody who's a free agent at, at year's end, but they'll get a little bit more for them because there'll be more buyers. I just don't think there's that much interest in a corner bat that's mostly just a first base DH type. Story is a great story, but I, I just I and also from a team building perspective, there's not that much interest in spring because you're like, no, we want to have a team that like plays defense and we can move guys around and stuff. But like for the last two months of the season, you're like, yeah, we can fit him in somewhere. Yeah, yeah. you know, like we yeah. want that bat for two months. That's, 2023 that's for Trey Mancini. But what about Cedric Mullins? He's a piece that I think that could help teams now. He's an off-season trade piece, I think. Yeah. yeah. He's the one want... that you trade for a lot of pieces, and you trade it to someone who wants to install him as their center fielder for like three, four years or whatever. Yep. Correct. I think if he can – so here's the thing with Mullins. Here's here's the bet that I think the Orioles are making right now. I'm sure they got offers this winter because why wouldn't they? If Mullins repeats what he did or repeats even 80% of what he did last year – the amount you get via trade this coming winter is even more than what you would have got this past winter. 
value goes up because he still has several years of, of club control left. So you're going to have him for a while and you've really locked in. Hey, this is my level. I'm a five win sort of player. I'm that right. kind of impact player yeah. up the middle. So I think that's a pretty smart gamble to take. If someone doesn't give you that, that Godfather offer that you can't refuse after the first time that he puts up a season like that. Uh, but I, I think, we're seeing some some changes in, in the late part of, of free agency, right? I mean, Carlos Correa to the Twins is a big surprise. This is a team that made a couple of deals, and I certainly didn't think they were fishing in the Carlos Correa pond, but I also didn't think there'd be a contract for Correa structured like the ones that the Twins gave him. You know, and I talked about it from a fantasy perspective on rates and barrels on Sunday, but uh, Britt, how surprised were you when you woke up Saturday morning and saw that Carlos Correa was going to Minnesota? floored because as we said spring training is early to bed and early up so there was no way i was going to stay up for the carlos correa news um it was one of those things where you kind of look at it twice you're like wait what um he's in minnesota i I do think when you look at it though it makes a lot of sense and if you listen to his press conference today he was very careful in his words he is going to spend a year in minnesota he is going to bet on himself and he's either going to opt out and make minnesota pay or make somebody else pay a lot of money Right, it's really structured in a way where he's continuing to bet on himself. And if you're Minnesota, well, you have a year that you know you can potentially go all in. I still think that they need to get one of those starters from the A's to really kind of go over the top right now. I think that you know if you think that just a good lineup is enough to make the playoffs, like the Angels would like to speak to you, right? Like you know, (laughs) you just you just can't. You you need pitching and you need more pitching than what they have. Exactly. (laughs) That's going to be the, the big issue. Um, but I think more than anything, what was cool about it is it's like, well, hey, the Twins never get the top guy, right? Some of these fan bases that are like, oh, we always get the option B or C, you know, and, and for the Twins to get the top free agent on the market, um, I think is good for the sport. I think it's good for the Twins fans. But overall, it just shows like if some teams can try, why can't other teams, right? Why can't they? Why, will we see more of these like, Will we get away from these 13, 12-year contracts that used to be the big thing for free agents? And will we see more of these three, four-year deals that are mega loaded? Um, Maybe, right? It seems like opt-outs were the theme of this post-lockout free agency. And I wonder if we're going to gravitate towards more of that as well because teams don't want to be bogged down for years and years. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's pretty interesting. He's definitely like a rental player situation for for a team that, uh, you wouldn't you would have expected that on the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers have always been you know willing to do high average annual value contracts with low years on it, um, and uh, so this is a, a kind of a Dodger deal in Minnesota. I, I I think it's I think it's okay. I think that what could happen is he plays himself into the graces of his team and they lock in those years and 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 do an extension while he's there. So it's a little bit easier to to sign a guy if he's already in house than. Uh, if he goes back out on the market. So that's just, I just wanted to mention that as a third possibility because um, otherwise, yeah, he has a good season, he's gone. He has a bad season, you're locked in again for another year with him. Yeah, I mean, they're back to being the Bomba squad, I think, in terms of what they have. Maybe you can't really be the Bomba squad without Nelson Cruz, who's now, of course, a member of the Nationals. But top to bottom, you look at the lineup that has hopefully a healthy Byron Buxton, Correa and Jorge Polanco up the middle. Miguel Sano brings plenty of pop from first base and DH. They added Gary Sanchez. So basically you replace Garver with him. Alex Kirilov is a young player that could take a step forward. We've talked about Max Kepler as a rebound candidate on rates and barrels. I mean, top to bottom, it could be one of the better lineups in the American League, if not elite, at least very good in that regard. And I think they've got some pretty interesting depth. They've got some young players, if they're not traded, who could come up and fill holes if needed, right? Jose Miranda is an interesting guy hit a ton in the upper levels of the minor leagues. You know, Brent Rooker, kind of just an extra corner guy to have around. He's not bad. He'd probably play more on other teams. They've got catching depth behind Sanchez with Ryan Jeffers being good. As Britt said, it comes back to the starting pitching. If they can't work out a deal to get another starter, a rotation with Sonny Gray at the top, that's fine, except for you know Dylan Bundy is a very big question mark in one of those spots. Bailey Ober, I think, is more of a back-end guy than a front-end or even a mid-rotation sort of guy. For now, I'm kind of in the same position on Joe Ryan. I think he might be okay as a, a four, but if he's your two or your three, you could be in some trouble. They've got Lewis Thorpe projected in that rotation right now. I thought maybe Michael Pineda would go back to Minnesota. He goes in division to Detroit, so definitely a big question there. They do have strength in the bullpen, though. 
So even as they try to round out this rotation, I think their bullpen, their A bullpen at least, stacks up very favorably with a lot of other playoff caliber teams. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Here's a weird nugget. Uh, I'm researching for bold predictions. I just looked up, I counted by team how many pitchers they had that were projected to be better than average. Uh, I used FIP, you know, better than average pitchers. Minnesota tied for second with 10. Hmm. They have 10 above average pitchers. Now, I think if I actually went and counted which ones they were, I bet you more relievers than starters. But uh, yeah. but, it, but it's still probably – you still probably have three or four starters. So, I mean, I, I just think like Montas – I think Montas has to go there. I think that just yeah. makes everything make more sense. You have Montas and Gray at the top. You fill in with the youth uh, behind, and you have some depth. You have a good bullpen, and it all makes a lot more sense with Montas in there. And I think the thing about this division, why you make the move if you're the Twins, it's a soft division. There's one clear favorite with the White Sox, but everybody else is a younger team getting better. There's no reason why you can't make a run at the division. If the White Sox have a little bit of bad injury luck, suddenly they fall really close to the pack. The division becomes very winnable with the expanded playoffs being right in the middle. Look, a lot of people expected the Twins to be a good team last year, and they simply weren't because of all the injuries that piled up. They could just get back to that level, add some, and then actually or, get into that high 80s win total range or even the low 90s. Or they're looking at the division and they're saying, you know, actually the, only the two top two divisions get a buy, right? So I'm stuck in this wild card round most likely. So why spend resources long term? Why not just roll the dice and get in the playoffs and see what happens from there? So. I mean, I bet you they're debating. Like, do you think we can make a run at a top two record in our league? Because that is the real prize, not necessarily just winning the division. Yeah. And I don't know if I'd call the AL Central soft because, especially if Minnesota gets a pitcher, you have the White Sox that are a good team. We talked about Detroit, and I think Detroit's going to surprise a lot of people. They get Javi Baez, they get Pineda, which slots in behind, which slots in with Eduardo Rodriguez so that their young guys don't have to be necessarily the bulk of the rotation they get a veteran catcher in tucker barnhart who's really gonna i think help stabilize things as well um their bullpen is really good they added andrew chafin they're going to be a team that relies on that bullpen because they're unproven in the rotation and then the royals i think most people would agree they're probably not there yet but again when you have a group of younger prospects it's hard to predict like if they're going to play like their hair's on fire because they just don't really know the difference um we spoke about Cleveland, and I'm still not entirely positive what they're doing, except for holding very steady with the payroll. Waiting um, for some are, prospects, I think. Yeah, like are they competing? If not, like I would have loved to see them trade Ramirez and Beaver, and really make things interesting. Like if we're gonna bottom out, bottom out, but they're king of like that. Let's be okay. You know, they they I think are the you know a team that really emphasizes wins per dollar, right? Like their tops in wins per dollar. 
Um, and I really wish that that mentality would go away as well. Um, let's just focus on wins and not like how much each win has cost relative to other teams. There's you know, no, I think we no need title, to- no wins per dollar, uh, title championship banner. <laughs> yeah, there's no trophy there. Um, and certainly the front office is very smart. They've, they've, they've had a sustainable run, but I, I just, you know, a team like that, if you see, you could see the twins do it. Why can't Cleveland add one or two pieces and really go all in? Are they waiting for ownership to kind of resolve itself like a third partner? Are they waiting for something? Um, because you give yourself a new name and a facelift and there's literally no buzz around that team, uh, which is the exact opposite of what you want to have, have happen, right? When you change your name and you're going for this whole new thing and you're trying to get people to come in. Um, like what Texas, is, they got a new stadium. Point? They tried to like yeah. you know, make a splash. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, there's what is the selling there's, point? There's no momentum right now in Cleveland. You could see them finishing last in this division. It might not be by 12 games or anything like that, but it could end up being one of these divisions that's pretty flat in terms of how the wins end up being distributed because those bottom teams have really kind of closed the gap with some of that young talent coming through. I, I think the the way teams have made moves since the lockout ended is kind of fascinating because teams are going about it in very different ways. No chance I would have put Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber on the same team. The Phillies you know, addressing needs in the corners and just upgrading the overall quality of their lineup. One of the better lineups in the entire league now with the depth that they have. But punting on defense with a really, I think, above average, very good starting pitching staff especially is an interesting decision. I'll start with you on this one, Eno. Can this actually work from a team roster construction standpoint can a, a flawed team get by with the big flaw being team defense balls and player at an all-time low so you know you could just try to 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 shift your way out of it and put the put the hitters put the defenders in the right places and and, and get lucky basically but i will say that already the phillies have put up some of the worst defensive years by defensive metrics like ever and in a related matter, they put up some of the worst bullpens ever. Uh, and so it's just like this weird thing where like, yeah, they, they're pushing, they're like leaning into modern baseball, but they're also showing that it's not really working. <laughs> so uh, I, kudos for going even further in and just pushing all the chips on this, on this one. But uh, I, I think the defense ends up mattering in – one run games. That's one thing I wanted to talk about with team projections is that the, the big source of chaos is one run games. And, um, you know, when a team like the Giants last year outperformed their projections by so much, they did it partially because they won one run games. The Mariners have had a lot of luck with one run run, one run games recently. And um, defense is like the way to lose a one run game. <laughs> you know, defense and bullpens is a way to to, to change your change your luck in one run games. So uh, I guess they're betting no one run games. <laughs> Let's win them all eight to four. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Out, out hit your defense in this case. Yeah, and I think those are great points. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is like one, the bullpen has historically been awful. They think they fixed it, but also you're a reliever. I think I wonder if it changes what these guys do, right? If you're a pitch-to-contact guy, do you try to become a strikeout guy because you do not trust the pitch-to-contact, right? You don't trust the obvious plays getting made. There's no – they don't even have, like, one or two really good guys that you can add in as a defensive replacement for those guys later. That, to me, would be the great solution here. Like, Herrera is um, their starting center fielder. He's bad defensively. Correct. Like, you can't replace the entire field, which is really what they would have to do. It's not just those two guys they added. They were already a bad defensive team. So I think it's going to cost them. I think it's going to cost them in a lot of close games, like you said. And I just look at the division, and I just still don't think that they're better right now than the Mets and the Braves. So I wonder, um, how are they going to do this if they're going to get to the playoffs? And Jason Stark had a great piece about the defense that kind of explores this. And he reminded everyone that Dave Dombrowski um, was the architect of the last really bad defensive team that went to the postseason in the 13 and 14 Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But those teams never never really Not hit their expectations either. Um, the 14 Tigers were swept by the Orioles in the DS with three Cy Young winners. Um, you know, so I think that's not really the greatest precedent to have. Um, it's interesting that the Phillies decided this was going to be the time to go over the luxury tax for this. 
Um, I think if Atlanta and the Mets weren't really trying, we would think about this differently and we'd say, yeah, the Phillies are going for it. There's a clear road. But you look at what Atlanta has done. You look at what the Mets have done. And I still see Philadelphia in a solid third if everything stays healthy. Do do you guys? Does anyone see them better than either one of those teams? Because I I have a hard time believing that. I I don't see them like straight up better, but I think they've done enough to clearly separate themselves from the other two teams in the division. I think the the Marlins and the Nationals are just at the bottom. I think the Marlins are better than the Nationals, too, at this point, just based on how good their pitching is and all the questions we have about the roster that the Nats have put together. I would say it's interesting that the projections have Atlanta, I think, three wins ahead of the Mets, and it's got the Mets only a win and a half ahead of the Phillies. I would flip the Mets with Atlanta right now. I think the Mets are the best team in the division because I'm assuming that Jacob deGrom is healthy. That makes all the difference in the world. So I would actually flip those two. I think the Phillies are good enough to go to the playoffs already because when I start looking at the other divisions, I'm not convinced that the Cubs or the Reds are playoff caliber teams. Even though the Cubs are trying to add pieces, the Reds have been trying to retool and keep things going. I think they're probably just on the outside looking in. I think we have questions about the Padres looking at the NL West too. So even if the Phillies haven't done enough to put themselves in a position to win the NL East, and there's a a path where they could, they've done enough to put themselves firmly on the inside of projected playoff teams with these two additions. And then you have to say, if you're willing to go into the tax already, you're probably willing to go ahead and make some more moves at the trade deadline. You're you're willing to go out and, and add whatever it is you need, bullpen help, whatever else that is, once we get to the end of July. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the Phillies, I don't think they're better than the Mets and Braves, but they don't have to be. I think that's sort of what you're talking about. I think that they have to be better than the Padres, and they have to be better than the Giants, and they have to be better than the Cubs, and I think they are. Uh, the Padres are the only one where I'm like, okay, you know, it depends a little bit on health, luck, and and maybe what they add at the division, but I, I could see those being two wild cards that go in. Yeah, and Bob Melvin, right? Like, will Bob Melvin have a tangible effect on that team? The Tatis injury, obviously. I, are you going to Padres camp? You know, I'm so intrigued by what the vibe is there, given, you know, new manager, but then they have a, obviously the injury to Tatis. Um, they really struggled to kind of get that slugger that they wanted. Still seems like they need another bat, but I don't think they're going to get it. Um, just really curious if you go there, like what the general vibe is, because a year ago, all we were talking about is San Diego, remember? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, I did have the choice because I went all the way out there and I chose Mariners. And I'll tell you, the, the vibe in Mariners camp was pretty good. They're really excited because Julio Rodriguez is a very exciting young individual. He's just a quality, quality dude. And just everyone loves being around him, wants to be his friend. You know, Kellenich, I think they, everyone thinks he's going to have a better season this year. Um, and then having Robbie Ray in camp just made them, you know, and Winker, this made them feel like, ownership was finally trying to like, you know, really put the pieces together. So, uh, you know, Mariners camp was very upbeat. I chose to stay upbeat in my life and not, and not go over to the Padres. Oh. Side. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't that say something right there versus a year ago? Yeah. Yeah, well, it does. I do wonder it, it, Bob Melvin has had to deal with poor roster circumstances before and losing your star player for, the first two months probably of the season is a tough blow, but he's supposed to come back. You're supposed to have him from about June on. I think you can probably be rational about that in San Diego right now. I think what you'd like to see is another move. You'd like to see you'd like to see the Padres be the team that goes out and, and adds Michael Conforto, right? I think mm-hmm. they had Tommy Pham, so bringing him back doesn't make sense. But those are basically the last two impact offensive players left. I think the, the trade for Luke Voigt is a step in the right direction. So I just wonder if they have one more move up their sleeve. I think at this point they could say we're good. We feel pretty good about what we're doing. I know there was a lot of buzz about Mackenzie Gore's first spring outing last week. Certainly a good sign to see him throwing hard again and and having some command. I think that's a a step that they really need to, to get right, getting him back on track because they have a decent amount of injury risk in that projected rotation already. There's a very good chance they need some of their young pitchers who are not currently projected in the rotation to take on spots at some point in the relatively near future. So they can get by doing nothing, but I think it would help a lot with just the the mindset around the, the club if they could find a way to get one more quality player into the mix. And it would also ease a lot of the pressure up and down that lineup 
to keep things afloat without Tatis through the first two months. I'm really surprised, actually, they haven't made another move because they seem willing to. They were supposedly the finalists, uh, one of the finalists for Seiya Suzuki's uh, you know, services, and then they were always linked to Nelson Cruz. I'm a little surprised that, he, that you know, A.J. Perler hasn't put that extra million on to, to, to win one of those two players because they're at $203 million after all you know, the CBT payroll taxes, everything is put together, and that's you could easily fit another 10, 15 million on there without even really getting close to the threshold of this year, which is 230. And I know that they've been, you know, they were a little bit upset to have gone into the, the gone into it by like a million dollars last year into the luxury tax. But, uh, you know, staying 15 million away from the luxury tax this year, I think that leaves you a lot of breathing room and, and you're not likely to go over. So like, why not one more 10, $15 million player? So, and the only, I think the only left player left on the market like that is Michael Conforto. So yeah. maybe let's start some Michael Conforto to the Padres rumors. I mean, their starting left fielder right now is Jerickson Profar, which I don't think is anybody's idea of a starting left fielder. No, yes. Jerickson Profar is a utility guy, but that's, that's what he is. He's not a guy that you want to have projected in your lineup every day. They thought they had Suzuki. I mean, I talked to multiple people there that were like, pretty convinced that they had Suzuki. And then obviously uh, he meets with the Cubs and that all comes together really quickly. And I thought that was going to be the perfect fit for them. So you're right. They need, they need something. They need some kind of spark to um, make that lineup feel better. You know, you're not going to probably unload Eric Hosmer's contract as much as you try. Um, So you just kind of have to, at this point with a big payroll, roll the dice and go for it again. Um, It's interesting. I was having this conversation with someone in baseball Imagine for a second, guys, if Manny Machado got into a motorcycle accident in the offseason and was out for this length of time. Imagine the reaction to that versus it being Fernando Tatis, right? Uh, It does seem like Fernando Tatis gets a little bit of a pass when it comes to pretty much everything here. I mean, this was a really irresponsible move, a really irresponsible decision. Now, imagine if this was Manny Machado. What do you guys think the, uh, the reaction would be? I think it'd be the same because it's happening for guys that play for the Padres. If if this happened with a Dodger or a Yankee or someone in a bigger market, there would be more heat. But I think as Padres, I think the response would actually be pretty similar. I disagree. I think Manny Machado, people just hate him and <laughs> people would could. go absolutely they, they nuts. They do. They do people have... go nuts when he slides into second base, a hard slide into second base. So I, I totally disagree there. I think it would be a huge uproar about Manny Machado and we haven't really heard anything about Fernando Tatis. I think, I think it's interesting because I think there is a private uproar. There's a, you know, sort of execs right now are, are like, they're talking about it. I mean, I just, I've yeah. been hanging out with some and they, they're like, you know, like, look at all that money on that contract. And, you know, he seems like a wild man. You know, that's I'd like, that was a phrase that I heard last night. Tatis seems like a wild man. So it's like, you know, I think that is what people are saying behind the scenes. I think that maybe the media, um, with Tatis, like he's such a, he's a, it's a slightly different personality. He's a little bit more smiling, right? And a little bit more like a fun young, he's been touted as kind of the future of the face of the game. You know what I mean? So maybe he's getting more of a pass in the media, but I think privately uh, people are kind of surprised that he would do something like that after signing that kind of contract and put himself at risk like that. Definitely um, a concern, but We'll see if the message was received uh, after this incident. Hopefully, for just the sake of his own health and for us getting a chance to watch him and remain healthy, hopefully it has been received. Other landing spots for these corner outfielders are still out there. I keep looking at Cleveland and thinking back to what we were saying earlier. They've spent nothing this offseason. They still have the same flaws they've always got. They need some help in a corner outfield spot. So, you know, maybe you could look at San Diego as a good fit for Conforto. If they don't get him, Cleveland would be a good fit. Tommy Pham could fit there. He's probably even less expensive than Michael Conforto, which is right up Cleveland's alley. What about San Francisco as a team that could add one more bat, especially if you're getting a a bit of a late spring sort of discount on either one of these guys relative to what they might have wanted even 10 days ago? I could really see him in San Francisco, Conforto in San Francisco, because they seem to be, uh, you know, preferring shorter deals. Um, I think that when they, I think from what I hear, they lost out on Trevor's story. They were one of the, you know, last teams to be in on Trevor's story. And I think it was the years rather than the dollars that 
you know, change the change the mindset in San Francisco. So, you know, I, I think that also uh, Conforto might be in the market for a pillow contract. He might be in the market for a one year deal to try and do better this year and give back on the market. Now, a one year pillow contract in San Francisco <laughs> probably not number one on your list. You might, if you're going looking for a one-year deal, you might call up Colorado uh, and try to pump up your numbers that way. But uh, maybe San Francisco's willing to put those extra two or three million dollars on that the Rockies won't after the big Bryant deal uh, to get him in here. And maybe it's a one-year, you know, twenty-two million dollar contract, just a little bit more than anybody else would give, but totally fine in San Francisco in terms of what their budget is, and it doesn't change their long-term, uh, their long-term budget, and each, you know, doesn't change their team that much in terms of uh, what they can do next year. So uh, something like that I could see happening. So what's interesting is when I wrote like a one question for every team when the lockout ended, I asked Andrew Baggerly, hey, Conforto to the Giants seems like it makes sense. And he said, no, not a fit. <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't really. I was just looking at my messages to see if he elaborated. He didn't. Um, <laughs> so not to throw cold water all over that one. Maybe they get him. Maybe bags, you know doesn't know i don't know well also um, maybe they changed their mind because they were in on story and they were sure, in on suzuki sure. so like maybe they're like well we have this bag of cash sitting here like yeah <laughs> i, I continue to think that i continue to think that the mets his old team is a huge fit as well i mean having hmm. that outfield depth having kind of doing what the dodgers did right the dodgers didn't need freddie freeman to be good but the more good players you accumulate, the better your team is. I also see the Yankees as a fit for Michael Conforto. I think either of those New York teams, it makes a lot of sense. Um, we're still waiting on the Yankees to kind of, I guess they're never making that big splash. Josh Donaldson was it. Um, but I still think that he would benefit from being in Yankee Stadium as well. Um, but if you, look at, think- if you look at need, it's the Padres. Because they have, the, by yeah. Fangraphs, they have the 30th best left field situation. That's the best team with the worst left field situation. Like it's crying out for. Wow, who else yeah. is down at the bottom there? I'm curious. Any other? Good uh, the team? Nationals uh, are an okay team that are 28th with Lane Thomas at the top. Um, the, the Rockies are 27th with Chris Bryant at the top, but uh, they've moved Chris Bryant yeah, around. Yeah, he plays multiple charts. spots on yeah. those depth charts. The Rangers are 26th with uh, Nick Solak and Willie Calhoun splitting time, but. Yeah. You kind of feel like they, you got to be running out of some money. Um, yeah. And then the Twins with Alex Kirloff are 21st. But uh, who knows how much more money the Twins have. The Reds are certainly not in a position where they seem like they want to spend money, but they could also use an upgrade in a corner as well if they wanted to take some of the pressure off of guys like Tyler Naquin and Jake Fraley. But I don't expect that to happen. I was talking to somebody who's like, I was like, what? Are, I think that people took the wrong um, idea away from the Rays and like, we're all trying to be the Rays. What do the Rays do? They trade away all their players. <laughs> That's the answer. And then, and I was talking to someone. He's like, "Yes, yes, but you have to make. You're making a wrong assumption here. You're assuming that some teams actually care about winning." <laughs> this is a person who worked in a front office. They also these teams don't have the raised farm system either. Yeah, Most right. of these teams. Yeah. That is Rays a are doing it to clear room. Of, if you were writing a story about the the Rays, uh, writing a book about how they've done what they've done, you know, drafting and player development and international the dumbest signings, <laughs> you'd, you'd really have a lot of word count focused on those things because that's a huge part of why they are who they are you know what i likened it to i said it's like reading moneyball and being like obp good (laughs) like uh, i don't know that was about undervalued assets it wasn't just a book about obp that would be a pretty boring book i bet if you look back about 10 years ago there were some teams that took the obp good approach for a little while and didn't think about anything else and well i'm sure they didn't think about a lot i think about a little bit with the terms of the mets it's kind of funny because they 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 bought some players with good OBPs this year, but they bought players. They, they signed players that get OBP by getting hit. Starling yeah. Marte and Mark Canna are league leaders in being hit by pitches. And mm-hmm. getting OBP by being hit is a really risky way to do business. <laughs> but at least the Mets have, have built in some depth. I think, you know, if one of those guys goes down, they can still field an all right outfield. But uh, it is kind of funny. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs. 
And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One other big move for us to get to Trevor Story landing in Boston over the weekend, and, and that's another situation. We we knew it was going to be like this in the AL East. Projections are still tight where it's four teams all within, I think, about six wins of each other. The Jays at the top, the Yankees in that second position. We talked about them, I think, last week. Red Sox still sitting there at three with a bit of a gap, about a three-and-a-half win gap behind the Yankees. I'm sure Red Sox fans are, are happy to argue that one uh, as soon as possible. And the Rays, who basically are the opposite of the Yankees because of the way projections work. We talked about the Yankee side where with veterans having projections that might air a little high with the injury risk they have, the Rays would project low all the time because they've got so much young talent that's not necessarily cooked into these playing time projections. Guys like Vidal Brujan and Josh Lowe, players that could end up being upgrades over guys that are expected to get half or three-quarter shares of playing time. So anyway, all this is to say, these four teams have very little separating them. It's kind of like the Philly situation that we just talked about, Britt. The, are the Red Sox good enough to win the AL East? Sure. You could make the same argument that the Phillies are good enough to win the NL East, but you still, if, you were, if you're trying to project it, if you're trying to guess what was going to happen, you'd be more likely to take probably two other teams first before you would think about taking the Red Sox to win this division, wouldn't you? Yes, but if they didn't get Trevor Story, I think we wouldn't even be having this conversation, would we? Um, because you looked at it, and up until then, this was Boston's first top 50 free agent. They had really done nothing. They kind of had to get Trevor Story, in my opinion, just to keep pace with the rest of the American League East because they all got better, and it didn't really seem like Boston had gotten better. Uh, but now, of course, you add him to the infield – not just now, but for the future, you're not really sure what's going to happen with Xander Bogarts facing free agency. Um, and you look at the Red Sox coming off of last year. I don't think anybody anticipated them being in the playoffs last year. They kind of beat their timeline a little bit. And it would have been really disheartening, I think, and a really weird message for the front office to send to kind of stand pat and do nothing. So this is like the opposite of Correa. As soon as Correa signed, I'm like, the, the Red Sox have to get Trevor Story, right? They have to do something. They can't not do anything in that market. Heim Bloom has been so financially savvy. They've been so risk averse. They have really been saving their money um, to make a deal like this. And could I see them winning the AL East? I guess. You guys are right, though. I think they're more playing for the wild card that a lot of these good teams are, are playing for that wild card scenario. Uh, I think Toronto is better still. I think Tampa is better. I'm not really sure what to make of the Yankees until we can figure out the COVID vaccine situation. I'm also a little wary of Josh Donaldson, another older injury-prone player, being like the big guy, the big get of the of the offseason. So to me, they're probably in third. Um, but I could see the, the Red Sox surprising. Like, I hated on them all last year, as you guys know, and they outperformed. I could see them doing the exact same thing again this year um, because there is still – just a, a lot that we can't project, a lot that we don't know. Is Toronto going to take a step forward? Is Toronto better than they were a year ago? I don't know. Are they actually better? 
I, or the I think moves they, more lateral moves. Oh, I think they're definitely better. I think the Matt Chapman addition is is a big addition defensively, and um, but is he better than Marcus Simeon? Right, like that's so we they, always you like know what focus I mean? on the additions and we forget about the subtraction. They, lo- they lost yeah. Simeon, but they also didn't have George Springer for most so, of last year. So if you have a healthy Springer, that ends up being the difference, right? Lose if, Ray and replace him with Kukuchi. Ex- which, yeah. But again, put yourself in a time machine. Go back to March of last year and say they're only going to have Robbie Ray for one year, but they're going to have Yusei Kikuchi next year. You'd say, oh, okay, that sounds about even. They have to yeah. show that they can it's do it. about even. Are they, they better add- than they were a year ago? Yeah, they added Barrios at the trade deadline last year. They still have him. They added Gossman in free agency. That's true. So they're they're better. I think they- I think it's I think the case is actually better for the Blue Jays that they're definitively better because if you look at the Red Sox, they lost Eduardo Rodriguez and replaced him with Waka and Hill. Um, which I think is a downgrade. They lost Adam Ottavino in the bullpen and replaced him with Jake Diekman, which might be equal-ish. Um, and then they, uh, what did they, they didn't lose that much. They lost Kyle Schwarber, who they had for their stretch run, uh, and replaced him uh, with Trevor Story, which is an upgrade. But as seen in whole, it's a, a slight upgrade. I think the Blue Jays have a better case for being having made massive upgrades. Right. I think I look at the Red Sox right now, and I think it's it's a level playing field with the Yankees. I, I think it's closer than the projections would currently lead you to believe. The one thing that's working against the Red Sox right now is the stress fracture uh, in Chris Sale's ribs. Like I think he's really important. Having him healthy and pitching like pre-injury Chris Sale changes a lot about their look, especially in such a, a tightly contested division. I think it's interesting. This is a team that's going to have a decent amount of, of money coming off the books, a few holes to fill after the season. J.D. Martinez's contract runs out this year. He's at about $19 million. Evaldi's in the last year of his deal. That's a tough player to replace, especially because you need more starting pitching. He's a $17 million guy, a bunch of 7 and $8 million guys. Waka, Christian Vasquez, Akike Hernandez. So they're going to have a little more room within their current budget this coming offseason. You have to wonder if, you know, if Xander Bogarts opts out. That's another $20 million guy that goes maybe somewhere else. They don't bring him back. Could they swoop in and, and be players for Trey Turner? As part of next year's free agent bonanza, I think or, that's or Correa again, Correa or Correa again, <laughs> right? Second opportunity at him. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways this roster could change after this year, but I think they're clearly better than a lot of the other wild card contenders. That's the other way you have to look at the rest of the AL East depth. Are they better than the field in the other divisions? Are they better than the Angels? Are they better than the AL Central teams that we were just talking about? I mean, Red Sox versus Twins, right? The, if you if you took the division difficulty away. I think most people would say Minnesota's much improved, but Boston still might be a few wins better. Story that was an interesting thing too about you know his elbow and and how he's lost ten miles an hour on his throws and how that figured into the battle for his services. And I think you know the Red Sox answer was well we'll just make him the second baseman. So I don't necessarily think that he's going to go back to shortstop after a year. Uh, I think this happens also. Like you think of Simeon, you're like, oh, he made himself into a really good shortstop and he went to second base. And then for a second, you're like, maybe he's going to be shortstop in Texas. Nope, he's a second baseman. So I think that it's really hard to swim back upstream once you kind of go downstream. So I would, I would just assume that he's a second baseman going forward. I guess the other, the other big win here, Trevor Story is not a Yankee. That's the, that's like the, the added cherry on top of the Sunday for the Red Sox getting him, right? You kept him away from the other team that was in division that was seemingly all over the possible of that. Need at, a position, at shortstop position at least, yeah. 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 Last thing before we go, expanded rosters are going to be in effect. 28 players until May 1st, really just a way of, of offsetting some of the possible elevated injury risk. Do you both feel this is an adequate tweak to the rules given the delayed start to spring training and the the added, the added concerns we have about player health to begin the year? I mean, what do you think about this tweak, Britt? Yeah, I think it was kind of expected. They were, even when I was in Florida um, about a week ago, they were kind of just still already talking about that. Like, you just don't want guys to get hurt. You want to be able to have a little bit of extra coverage pitching-wise is really what this is about. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, it's a win-win. You get more players in the big league, so you know the union's going to go for it. Um, I think this is a good move overall. Um, hopefully we don't see too many like bullpen-ish games that first month of the season, but that's really going to depend on injury and how guys go from this abbreviated spring training into these cold climates and then are asked to kind of throttle it up. 
I, I think you're playing with fire a little bit. Yeah, I, I, you know, you get the sense from talking to managers that they're all for it. You know, I, I did ask a couple of managers while I've been down here and then, you know, they both said they were for it. So the only, yeah, the only thing could be the fans might lose out if it does become an opener, bullpen, bulk guy situation where we don't see our favorite pitchers, you know, pitch more innings. We see uh, guys with 69 on their, on their backs, you know, <laughs> pitching a lot more innings. But, uh, and you know, those, those extra two spots are 100% going to relievers. Uh, but uh, it's, I think it's just a need. It's just a need. We had a three-week spring training. It's something they had to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely a nice adjustment, but it's going to be extra pitching everywhere. So maybe a few more early season pitching changes is the, the biggest impact that we really see on rosters to begin the season. We need to go. Before we go, I should say you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button on the video and subscribe to the Rates and Barrels channel. And of course, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that. On Twitter, Britt is at Britt underscore Giroli. King of Waffles, Enoceris is at Enoceris. And I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. We are back with you on Monday.